Uh, tonight we're starting a new series. It's a four-week series, um, and it's called Something More. Um, I've been thinking for a while um, about how uh, in about six weeks, many of you are going to be headed home um, or some other place like home or, or not like home, maybe, I don't know. But some other place um, for over a month. You have a break that's really, really long in college. And for many of us, it's not an easy time. I think Christmas is a strange time because there's pretty soon, I don't know when Christmas carols start coming on the radio, but, but yep, th so Thanksgiving, there's a strong opinion about when they should, I guess, come on the radio. Uh, the, uh, so, so they come on the radio and I find Christmas to be such a strange season because the lights and the sounds and the looks, it looks like everybody's having a fantastic time. But in this position, like our staff, what we see year after year after year is people coming home from Christmas break saying it was hard. It was really hard. Not everybody, but most people. It's really hard, right? And I know this is coming. I know this month of your life is coming where some big decisions will be made and the rhythms will be different. The, the things that you have learned um, to, to do on a weekly basis in this context with the people you live with, with the people you hang out with, that's gonna change for a whole month back home. The things that you rely on and the rhythms of your life are just gonna change and shift up a little bit. And it can be hard to sort of carry some things through that transition and things will change over the course of that time. I'm mindful of it. And, and when, I'm, when I'm thinking about what to preach on for the next four weeks, what I'm thinking about is trying to, to preach on something that will help equip you to grow during that season a lot. Not just to get through, not just to buckle down and, and hope you come out the other end still in college, with your parents together if they still are by a miracle or something like this, but like, and you can still afford school or something like this, but that you actually grow during that season. And, and, and uh, the backbone of this whole series comes out of the book of Hebrews. Um, the author of Hebrews um, says at the very end of chapter 10, and if you have a pen and pencil, I want you to write down these verse numbers because I'm gonna ask you to read them with me for the next month, okay? But the end of chapter 10, verse 39, um, the author of Hebrews says that we have need for endurance. That our faith, much like our whole life, is not a sprint, it's a marathon. You might be coming here for a quick fix, but that's not really what you need. You need to be fit for a whole life of discipleship to Christ. To live your whole life with a robust kind of faith and hope and love kindness and discipline and obedience and all these sorts of things not just getting by because i had this quick fix and then this quick fix and then this quick fix but that we need to be trained and have endurance built up so that we can run a marathon for the rest of our lives and our faith we need to prepare we need to train we need to be equipped for the long haul these are the kinds of things that the author of hebrews is talking about and so it's hebrews 10 39 through 12 29 so it's pretty much all of 11 and 12 which is a little bit at the end of chapter 10 all right, I actually don't know how much I'm gonna preach out of this text um, because I'm gonna actually use different examples from the life of Jesus throughout this series. But, but it's what I'm gonna be reading over and over again and I encourage you to read it with me a lot. Read it a lot. Read it, listen to it on audio, whatever you need to do and be praying through this with me. I'd love for you to read it with me and as, um, as I think about your endurance, it seems to me, and this is where the four weeks fit in, it seems to me that there are four seasons where y'all need it most, where I need it most. Um, we need endurance most when we doubt, when we have apathy, when we're apathetic. Another apathy is sort of a lack of feeling. I don't know, that's next week, right? When I just can't feel what it seems like everybody else feels. We need endurance when we're suffering or experience suffering. And we need endurance when we're disappointed. 
We need to know how to get through these things. These are the hard times for us to endure, to persevere, to run a race well in. Those are really, really hard seasons for us. Doubt, apathy, suffering, and disappointment. What does it mean to endure through these times? My suspicion is that every single one of you in this room is close to one of these things right now. And I know for a fact that all of us in this room will experience all of these things. We will all doubt. We will all have seasons of tremendous apathy. We will all have suffering in our lives and we will all be disappointed in so many things. This is gonna come up over and over and over again throughout our lives. And if our faith in Christ does not stand in the midst of those times, then it's doomed. It's doomed. So throughout the series, I want you to be listening for something. It's the title of our series. It's called Something More. You can put the image up if you want, Daniel, um, just for the sake of visuals or something. Um, but the sermon series is called Something More. And what I want you to be doing, if you're reading through Hebrews with me um, and listening to these sermons each week, is listening for something more. How we all want something more than what immediately comes to mind in any of these seasons. What do you want when you doubt? What do you want when you have a lack of feelings about things? What do you want when you're suffering? What do you want when you're disappointed? I submit to you that we want something even deeper than what first comes to mind. So the sermon series is called Something More. The author of Hebrews in the middle of chapter 12 talks about these people of faith, Adam and Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these people who, who, who didn't actually receive what was promised but looked forward to what was ahead and they wanted a better country. They wanted something more than what they'd received. We still today want something more than what we've been given. It's very, very important that you do not try to satisfy yourself with what's present today. But if you are a follower of Christ, we are to look forward to what, he is, what is still to come and to not give up hope for that. We want something more. We want a time with no more sorrow. We want a time where promises are fulfilled. We want a time with no more death. We want a time where every single one of us is known and loved and has meaningful work to do in the life of God's people on this planet. And that's good. That's really good. But it's hard to believe this stuff and to want that stuff and to endure through that stuff during particular seasons. And so the first season we're gonna talk about tonight or, or, or in the series is doubt. And that's gonna be the subject of our conversation tonight is doubt. So let's pray together and then we'll, uh, we'll um, talk about it and open the scriptures together. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing us together tonight. I'm mindful that many of us in this room um, just sang a song that said all will sing out hallelujah. I know that... Um, I know that many of us don't feel that way all the time. With the actions of our lives, with the, with the, the thoughts that we think, with the feelings that we have, um, we don't even know how to cry out hallelujah. And I thank you that I know that one day it will be true. It will be a fact of the universe that we will all actually cry out hallelujah. And I thank you for that. But God, you know that we doubt. You know that the, even those of us in this room who, who believe in you have unbelief still in places in our life. And so we ask you to help, help our unbelief tonight. Would you help me, God, preach your word faithfully and effective? I pray that you would use me faithfully. And that what happens between my lips and everybody's ears would be the work of your spirit. That we might be people who would bring our doubts before your throne 
and that we might know that you draw close to us in our doubts. Thank you so much for being who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Doubt, oof, doubt. All right, so first let me just say this. Doubt's a funny thing. Doubt's a weird thing, okay? Um, You guys might know this. This is somewhat of a popular um, thing to know, I guess, but... Um, so there's like this huge group of people, they have an organization, you can register for it, you can pay dues for it, that doubt that the Holocaust ever happened. You guys know that? The Holocaust deniers, right? That's like a big, big deal. Like they, they doubt that the Holocaust actually happened. So in the face of like tons and tons of testimony, in the face of, re- of recordings, in the face of archaeology, in the face of bodies, in the face of news clippings, in the face of what seems like insurmountable evidence to the whole rest of the world. There's a whole group of people who are like, nah, I doubt that ever really happened. Propaganda, right? I mean, this is crazy to me. It's possible for people to doubt that thing. Like, I think we should be able to present all of the evidence before them and they should go, you're right, I'm wrong, the Holocaust totally happened. It wasn't just propaganda, the whole thing really happened, right? Similarly, there's people who doubt that we landed on the moon, right? There's people looking at the same evidence right now, doubt that the earth is warming, and other people look at the exact same evidence and doubt that it's not warming. At the same evidence. We are these people who are capable of doubting. We have it in us to believe whatever we want. Every single one of us can believe whatever we want. If you believe that the whole world is a dream— There is literally no way I can prove you wrong because every single thing I do can be a part of that dream world. Everything. If you have decided that we are all part of your dream, I can't do anything to prove you wrong. You can simply doubt me and believe that. That is not something I can conquer or overcome in you. You can doubt. You can cast your belief or disbelief in any direction that you want. You can doubt. You can doubt your doubt. This is a fact of what it means to be human. There's this great Catholic saint named Thomas Aquinas, and I think he nailed some of this fact when he said this. He said, for those with faith, no explanation is necessary. For those without faith, no explanation is possible. Let me say that again. For those with faith, no explanation is necessary. You guys right now, if you don't believe that we live in a dream world, I don't actually need to defend that. Right? If you do, if one of you in this room believes that we are all part of your dream, um, and so is the mental projection of yourself right now, uh, if you believe that, then there's no explanation I could give you that is possible to convince you otherwise. For some of you, that may actually be the only thing you need to hear tonight. For those with faith, no explanation is necessary. For those without it, no explanation is possible. But... Let's assume the Holocaust did in fact happen. Um, Let's assume we landed on the moon, that the earth is either warming or not, um, um, and that you do not think me to be a figment of your dream. Um, And, uh, but we also have to assume, um, because we have to if we're gonna have a rational conversation, that logic matters, okay? Um, And and that questions have answers, these sorts of things, okay? Um, That if that's all true, then all of us are people who doubt. Every single one of us is a person who doubts. Every one of us. It's a part of the human experience. Everyone who thinks doubts. And all doubt means, technically, it just means uncertainty. There's a gap between what I know and certainty about that thing. In that space is where this thing called doubt exists, and I can doubt any number of things. 
uncertainty. Every single one of us has it. The Bible is littered. The Bible is littered with stories of God's people who doubt, who have questions, who have uncertainty about something, who want something more. I want to read one of those stories and I want to explore some questions about doubt tonight, okay? It's a brief story. Some of you might know it because of the famous phrase, Doubting Thomas, uh, which I am so thankful for him and his doubt. So thankful um, because of what we get to read about in this text. So let's read that first little bit from John chapter 20. Um, let me give you some um, background here. Uh, so, so this is soon after Jesus allegedly rose from the dead. Jesus had, um, uh, had run into Mary Magdalene and told her to go and tell the guys that, um, that he's risen from the dead. And so they're sitting in this room and, and when Jesus comes apparently passing through a wall or something um, and he shows up, says, peace be with you and starts to, shows them his hands and his side to show that there's scars that's still there. It's really him, in other words. They had probably had heard the report from Mary, but they were sort of huddled up, probably saying something like, are you kidding me? Mary told us Jesus rose from the dead. That's crazy. Nobody does that. Like Jesus did that once. Like he raised other people from the dead or a couple times. He raised people from the dead, but, but like how does a dead man raise himself? We don't have evidence of these questions, but Mary reported this to them and they're huddled up in a room with the door locked, the scriptures say. And Jesus passes through the doors. I mean, it sounds crazy to me. I doubt things, okay? It sounds crazy to me, but the story begins with the resurrection in this case. And so passing through a wall doesn't seem like a big deal after the resurrection sort of thing. So it's kind of a fact that nobody cares about. But, but he shows up in the middle of this room. He says, peace be with you. Shows him his hands and feet. Um, crazy, like, aha moment for the disciples. And then John says this. Now, Thomas, who's one of the 12, so he's one of Jesus' closest friends, he wasn't there. When Jesus shows up, this is what happens. Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Now, if you're Thomas, what do you know? He died. I saw him die. I saw him die. We've seen the Lord, they say. And so Thomas says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Unless I see and touch him, I will never believe. I get that. Y'all, I get that. His friends are saying that a man just rose from the dead. I know that we look at this and we go, oh, silly. some of us, you guys may have not grown up in this tradition. I didn't grow up in the church. And so I've, I just heard, I've heard stories of people who are like doubting Thomas. And I'm like, what do you... What do you mean? Like, I mean, like, he, like people told him a dude rose from the dead. Like you doubt that, right? I mean, like you would. If you don't think that's crazy, then you aren't thinking. That's a weird, weird thing. And so he says, unless I see him, I'll never believe. And I go, that's the normal response. That's an understandable response to the report that Jesus rose from the dead. Unless I see him or touch him, I will never believe. Friends, I have a lot of doubts. I want to see God and touch him. My suspicion is I probably have more doubts and questions than anybody in this room. And I'm preaching, which is weird. Uh, that may surprise you. I don't really know. But my journey of faith has always been this way. It's always been this way. There's some significant overlap with what Zach shared earlier in this regard. When I came to college, um, 
right before I came to college, my young life leader in high school, um, and I didn't really know how I identified with things at that point. I probably would have called myself a Christian because all the cute girls that were in young life identified as Christians. Um, but I, and, and like, anyway, whatever. That's probably why I did it. But, um, but, but I know that what happened is my young life leader named Chris Robinson, he was 24 years old. He died of cancer my senior year of high school. 24 years old, died of cancer. And, and watching the way he died of cancer and the fact that he was 24 years old and died, and he died in pretty surprisingly, it was really quick, um, it brought up a lot of questions for me, right? I didn't really know exactly what I believed, but, 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 but processing, uh, getting to process through his death with him was really eye-opening for me. And so I went into college and I had so many questions on my mind, like, like, like is, is, is Jesus really who the Bible says he is? Did he really exist? How can I trust the Bible at all if he's real and who the Bible says he is? What do I owe him? Do I have to respond to that in some particular way? I came into college and I could have put words to those questions coming out of high school. And I was so excited to go to college because it was this beacon on a hill, right? It was this huge place where I was, I don't know what you think about college. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to this land where everybody asked questions and studied and talked and figured out mysteries of the universe. And I thought, sweet, I want to know if God is real. And I thought I could figure it out because I got a few years. I didn't know I had five, but I thought I could figure it out. And, and I was so excited to go to college, right? My roommate and my room situation was different than your, guy, than your guys' room probably unless you live in, what, what's 1000 called? I don't even know what it's called now. Um, the 1000 building or that direction. Um, that my room was actually just one little room and our beds were in the same space. Like the headboards went up to each other. Um, and the, the space was, I don't know, I don't know, twice as big as this stage or something. It was pretty small. Um, and we had like a little mini fridge and I had like a plug-in coil cooker and a microwave and we made everything um, on that and a microwave, which I thought was great. Um, but my roommate, who we got really intimate and knew each other really well because we're just slammed in the same space together so much, he was a devout Muslim, ended up being the president of the Islamic Society on campus, prayed five times a day in our room, um, right in front of my bed and in, in front of his bed. Um, and, and I remember paying so close attention to him as I'm asking these questions about faith. Why does he pray like he prays? Why does he pray the same thing so often? He has this book of prayers that he keeps pulling out and opening up and reading. And he has things like he prays for like sickness in a very particular way. And he prays for death in the family in a very particular way. And I watch how he fasted and I watched his devotion and I watched the movies that he didn't watch and did watch and these sorts of things. And I was so fascinated with questions about my faith. And I began to ask questions like, well, how, does, how do Christians differ from that? How do I know if... If, 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 this, if he's praying to the same God that, that, that my young life leader said he was going to see when he died. How do I, how do I know that that stuff's true? And I had these crazy questions, right? Um, I remember a certain campus ministry hosting this apologetics talk in the lobby of my dorm my freshman year. I remember being so excited because there was advertisers like, you know, come answer, proving God exists. That was the thing. Answer a bunch of questions, Q&A. And we're going to prove God exists, give like five proofs or something. And I sat there in this lobby with, you know, 20 very awkwardly spaced out people on these couches um, while this guy stood up front um, with a whiteboard and, or something and, and, and did this presentation. I'm sure in some people's stories, I'm the guy with the whiteboard. Um, but, uh, but I'm sitting there listening to this guy and he starts to give his proofs for God. And I'm watching, looking around the room as he does all these things, and I'm seeing like what seems to me like everybody else nodding their head. And I'm going, are you kidding me? Like he just gave like a metaphor about like a lifeboat and a canyon and a three-leaf clover, and you guys are like, totally. 
Like, I was super, super like, wait, what? Like, I'm pretty sure Christians talk about God being three in one, and you're telling me that if I just know what a three-leaf clover is, I can get it. And I was like, there's just no way. Like, and I, I really felt like I didn't belong. Like, I was sitting there so excited to figure this stuff out, and here was a banner, like a poster that said, we're going to prove God to you. And I was sitting there, and like, it didn't work for me. And I was so frustrated. So I gave up on that particular college ministry, which I'm sure was effective. 19 other people were nodding their heads, and I'm sure they're going to be sitting in heaven um, somewhere. So um, right next to me, uh, loving that. And um, so I went to this other college ministry that I got lost at and, and didn't know anybody, um, you know, in, in it all. Um, and when I was there, this guy started preaching about Romans, which is what I was going to say a little bit earlier. He started talking about Romans, and I remember going home, and I opened the Bible to the book of Romans for the very first time. And I didn't open it up. I may have shared it in this context before. I didn't open it up because I was like super jazzed about Romans. I was like, how in the heck did he get that from this? And so I started reading through it and I was like, I don't know where he gets this stuff from. I mean, he even told me the verse numbers. You guys are gonna read Hebrews 10 through 12 and be like, I don't know how you got doubt out of this. You know, that, that was my experience anyway. Maybe you won't, but that was my experience. And, I, and I, I, everything I did seemed to bring about more questions. I started joining Bible studies, trying to answer questions and I just had more questions. I went on like a mission trip and I had even more questions. And it just doubt seemed to be the normal part of my experience of faith. And, and then there's this one place. Will you put up um, the picture of that website title? Ars Technica. Man, such nostalgia. Oh gosh, you can keep that up for a bit. Uh, this is like geek heaven, which I'm pretty sure is heresy to say in a sermon. Um, Ars Technica used to be called like something like a PC enthusiast's website or something. I don't really know. Um, now it's something more jazzy or something about tech. Um, but, but I worked on computers for a living for a long time. And, um, and I loved this website because they had this forum. Do you guys know what forums are? You probably know what forums are. Um, nobody uses them anymore, I don't think. But, uh, but there was this forum that was like, like in the forum, there was like 20 different sub forums. And each forum was dedicated to something in the tech world. So it was like audiovisual equipment and Macintosh computers and, you know, PC operating systems and hard drives and memory. And like each one was broken down to something. But then there was this one sub forum called the Soapbox. And the Soapbox was for political and religious discussion. And I'm pretty sure that the developers of Ars Technica assumed this would be like this kind of release valve and it might just barely get used and it would be this funny little like side forum for a bunch of computer geeks talking about political and religious stuff. It blew up and was by far the most used section of their website. Thousands and thousands and thousands of posts. So I started joining it and over the course of about three years, I had over 3,800 posts on this forum. Um, and, uh, and, and many, many of those, many of those were multiple paragraphs long, pages long where questions would be asked and three to 20 people would be back and forth an answering and asking questions of each other, trying to clarify things, right? I love, let me, let, me, let me show you an example of some of the questions. Today, will you put up that bullet point list for me, Daniel? Thanks. Um, so today I just went back and looked through like my history on that website, which I haven't used in a decade, but I, I can still look up my history because I paid a bunch of money to, to like be like a special member of the, <laughs> I was a super geek. Uh, and I, I didn't want them to go out of business because it was the place I was trying to figure out what I believed, right? And I learned about computers there. Um, and uh, so I went back and I just took some highlights of like, like this, the topics from the subject lines of each of the threads right? And here was some of the stuff that I was engaging in dialogue with, uh, you know, 18 years ago or something like that. Now, um, six types of atheists. When do humans become aware? Biblical age of the earth. If God gave us free will, is that fair? Would you pray for Satan? What is ultimate truth? 
Is science a religion? Biblical inconsistencies. Why is sexuality such an issue for Christians? Can God create a square circle? Um, these were the kinds of things that I loved talking about. Like, because I, 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 and here's why I loved this website so much. I loved it because um, I felt like it was people I could trust. These were people who loved physics and engineering and computers, and, and they liked the scientific method a lot. And most of them were agnostics, and I felt like I could trust them. I, I, I don't know. And so I, I would go there, and I would tinker with all of these thoughts. Th these are questions that I had, just samples of those questions, right? That I was talking about. Over the course of the last 18 years, I have, I can't tell you how many books that I've read trying to engage these questions. Just a sample of some of them. These, aren't, these are not questions I've asked. These are just books that I've read specifically for one purpose. These are books I've read. This is a sample of some books that I've read just to say, do I actually want to believe this anymore? These books also answer other things, but I've specifically gone here and said, I want to figure out if this whole thing's a sham. I'm going to read this book. Over and over and over again, I keep having doubts and asking questions like these. It's not just in the past. It's now and today too. A couple years back, um, it was actually probably longer than a couple years ago now, but it feels really recent. I remember being at this uh, a mission trip with um, the house um, to the Dominican Republic, and we had a ton of people there, maybe 40 or 50, maybe more, I don't know. But every morning there was this time of worship uh, and sort of devotions or something. Somebody would share, we'd sing some songs, kumbaya, you know, praise God stuff, you know. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, and, but I remember one morning I'm sitting there on the steps, kind of on the outside of the circle, um, probably like trying to be a cool kid in the back of the bus or something. Um, and, and, um, but I remember sitting there on the steps and everybody else is singing. And in the middle of this moment, while everybody has their hands raised, singing, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow or something. I'm looking up at the sky and I remember out loud saying this because nobody is around to hear it. I'm sitting on the outside facing away. I remember looking up at the sky and I'm a leader in, in this ministry on this trip while everybody's doing a devotion, singing praise songs. And I go, this better not be a joke. Because if we're just sitting on a friggin' spinning rock in space, I'm gonna be pissed. Uh, I remember looking out in his face thinking that and I didn't, and that's like really what I was thinking. I was like, I don't, I don't know how to tie into what everybody's doing right now. Brothers and sisters, friends, I have doubts. I got a lot of them. And they come all the time. I have uncertainty about so, so many things. The questions that I have for us tonight are really twofold because I know that you have doubts. There's a part of me that goes, oh my gosh, I hope they don't think I'm a freak for having doubts. And I'm like, no, no, no. I know y'all have doubts. Like, I know you guys are asking the same questions I'm asking, or maybe you, maybe you aren't asking them, and I need to tell you that you can. But I know that we all have doubts. And so what I want to do tonight is actually really ask two questions and try to address those with this text from John chapter 20. And that's, what are we supposed to do with our doubts? Because we have them. What do we do with them, and how does God respond to our doubts? That's what I want to try to address. So I want to keep reading in John chapter 20 and then try to address these questions. We go to the second half of that for me? So Thomas had just said to his friends, right? Like, unless I do this, I will never believe. Then it says this, eight days later, so after Thomas said, I will never believe, it's eight days, which for him, I'm sure, and for you as well, that's an eternity, longer than a week. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. This time Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Again, the doors are locked, right? So the, the, the idea is, and virtually everybody agrees, that Jesus, I guess, passed through the wall 
which is probably pretty important that he says peace right after he does that because that's kind of a freaky thing. Passes through the wall and right after he says peace to everybody, what does he do? Eight days later, Thomas had asked this question. Thomas hadn't run into him yet. Eight days later, Jesus said, or um, he said then to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus comes in and says, peace be with you. And then he says, Thomas, Thomas, take your hands and put them here. The very things that Thomas asked for. In the midst of his friends, he doubts. He, he makes his huge claim, I will never believe unless I do that. Jesus comes to him and says, Thomas, here, touch me. Touch my hands, touch my side. And he says, my Lord and my God, blessed are you, Thomas, but also blessed is everybody else who doesn't see and believes. Thomas is still around eight days later. He didn't take off. <laughs> when he doubted, he vocalized his questions and he showed up to test them. The first thing any of us should do when we have doubts, I think, is go to see if there are answers to our questions. Go to see if there's answers to your questions. Can you imagine if Thomas had done this? If he said, unless I see him and touch him, I will never believe. But uh, anyway, uh, when's dinner? Like, that's not what we read, and that sounds like a crazy thing to say. It would be silly. But how many of us do that sort of thing with the doubts that we have? How many of us have questions and then quickly move on and never actually address them? How many of us have, quest have questions that plague us over and over and over again and we never once just sit down and try to sort it out for a second? I can't tell you how many times I hear somebody in this context say, how do we, this is an example, okay, but you guys might be able to identify with this. How do we know if the Bible is really a trustworthy translation over the course of the last 2,000 years? I mean, how can we know that this is what they actually wrote? Y'all, there is zero reason to doubt that. Like, you, like it's, it, here's the thing. You can doubt it, but you can actually answer it. And it won't take you long. I hear that question so much. And many, many, many like it. And it seems like people are going sometimes, man, I don't know. I, you know, unless this happens, I'm never going to believe. But I don't got time for that. And we move away. We get distracted. We get busy. We never actually engage the very questions that we have. Y'all, we live in a time, and if you're around me long enough, you'll hear me talk about this because it's baffling to me. We live in a time of unprecedented access to data. Unprecedented. You can read letters that were written thousands of years ago in a matter of seconds. Every single question you can ask, every one that you can ask, has been asked tons of times already, and answers, responses have been documented, and they're online. You can pull out your mobile phone right now, and any question that comes up when I say, what do you doubt, you can get tons and tons and tons of hits and responses to that very question. We live in an unprecedented time of information. But I know that many of us will never actually pull out our phones or go to our computers or go talk to our pastor or talk to our friend or open our Bibles. Even though we have these questions, many of us will never do those things. And I think there's two reasons why we don't pursue our doubts. What should we do with our doubts? We should pursue them immediately. Pursue them. Pursue the answers to the questions that we have. I doubt, and I want to figure out where this rabbit hole goes. But many of us stop and don't do that for two reasons. Number one, 
really think that many of us are afraid that our lives might have to change if we actually come face to face with the truth. One of the reasons that I don't, I, I have a question that comes up and I go, ooh, oop, no, 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 don't ask that question. Because as soon as I begin to answer that question, it's gonna be convicting. What if, what if God actually does call me to give up everything? And so I don't even wanna like deal with that passage. I don't even wanna deal with it. What if God wants me to do this? What if I start studying and I start realizing he's asked this of my life? And so I don't really wanna figure that out. I don't wanna dig into that right now because I don't know what kind of claim that's gonna have over me and I'd rather live in ignorance. Um, I guess I just wanna, I mean, I was debating whether to use this or not, but let's, let's, will you put that C.S. Lewis quote up? Um, I wanna respond to that with this quote. I think this is fantastic. Uh, this is in uh, an essay that C.S. Lewis wrote. Um, he said, to evade the Son of Man, this is a name for God. Uh, Kirsten preached a great sermon on it a while back. You can uh, listen to it on our website. Um, to evade the Son of Man, to look the other way, to pretend you haven't noticed, to become suddenly absorbed in something on the other side of the street, to leave the receiver off the telephone because it might be he who was ringing up, to leave unopened certain letters in a strange handwriting because they might be from him, you may not be certain yet whether you ought to be a Christian, but you do know you ought to be a man, not an ostrich hiding its head in the sand. Whew. If you have doubts, pull your head out of the sand and go pursue them. Set off on the great God hunt and find your answer. If you have doubts, what you're supposed to do is pursue them. I think there's another reason we don't pursue answers, though. It's not just because we're afraid of, of being convicted. I think the other reason is that we're afraid sometimes that our faith is a house of cards, that this whole thing will fall if I begin pursuing those questions. If I start asking those questions, I'm going to realize that this whole thing is a joke, that it can't withstand the integrity of, of, of logic and reason and science and friends and culture and whatever else in human experience we can throw at it. And so I just, I don't want to mess with it because if I poke at it just a little, it might crumble. And then what am I going to do? And so sometimes we don't pursue our doubts because we're really afraid that they might be true, right? That the answers might be in the affirmative or something and, and, and call us to conviction. But other times we're, uh, we're afraid to pursue our doubts or we don't do it because we're afraid that, we, that we, we might find out that this whole thing's a joke. Look, if that's true, if your faith is a house of cards, then wouldn't it be better just to knock it down now? Like if the whole thing's a joke, if like, if, if you can ask one question that's going to undermine and unravel the entirety of the Christian faith, wouldn't it be better for you just to get that done with now and get on with your life? I don't think that's the real like result of the whole thing, of course, because really I think the truth is, and you need to know this, God's not scared of you. He's not scared of you and he's not scared of your questions. He's not scared that you're going to ask that one thing. That one thing that's gonna, sh that he's gonna be like, crap, I was really hoping you wouldn't ask that because I don't have any answers for that one. That, that this one question that you keep stuffing down inside, if you let that out, nobody's gonna follow me anymore because you have figured it out. You've figured out this whole thing's a joke. Y'all, he's not scared of you. He's not scared of your questions. He's not scared of your doubts. He's not scared of your uncertainty. Which brings me to the other point about doubt I want to address. I think we are supposed to pursue our doubts. We're supposed to dive into that rabbit hole and see if there isn't an answer 
to the things that we have questions about, to see if there isn't a way that our uncertainty can be addressed. I really, really do think that that's being a faithful, thinking human being to do that. But the other question I have is how does God respond to us? So when I sort of vocalize my doubts, when I have this moment when I'm like, man, unless this happens, I'm never gonna believe. What does God think of me in that moment? Let me start by asking, how did he respond to Thomas? Thomas, whose friends told him the truth. Thomas, who saw Jesus raise other people from the dead. Thomas, who thought his friends trustworthy. Thomas, who maybe he should have, I don't know, maybe he should have been like, totally, I believe it. I don't really know. How how does Jesus respond to Thomas saying, I will never believe? And how do you think God would respond to you if you said something like that? If you stood in a Bible study, if you stood in a sermon context, if you were sitting somewhere looking at this going, nope, don't I, there's no way, I can't believe that. If you actually put words to it and vocalized it and let it out, how do you think God would respond to you? Well, here's how he responds to Thomas. He walks in, and he looks at him, and he calls him by name, and he addresses the very questions of doubt that he has. He gets close to Thomas. He moves close to him, I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to prescribe what Jesus does here to every single one of us. But what's normal about this case when I look at the stories of God and his people doubting throughout the history of the pages of scripture is that God continues to draw close to people in their doubt. One of the most fascinating exercises to me um, in the scriptures of this, and these probably weren't written back to back, maybe they were, but it's reading Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 side by side. <laughs> It's just so fascinating. Psalm 22 begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? There's some doubt there. There's some doubt riddled in Psalm 22. And the very next one is this God who's this great shepherd that leads me through the valley of the shadow of death and prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, side by side. When Peter has doubt he, he, he doesn't know if he believes Jesus and he gets out and he walks on water And it's a crazy story because for some reason the wind blows and then he starts to sink because he doubts. I don't really know what's happening there. I don't, I have no idea what's happening there. But Peter doubts and he starts sinking in the water. And what does Jesus do in response to Peter sinking and doubting? He reaches out to him and grabs him by the hand and begins to lift him out of the water. This is the normal way that we see God responding to his people when they doubt in the text. He continues to move close to them. He continues to move toward them. This is the way I think God responds to us in our doubt too. He's not afraid. He's not angry. He has compassion upon us and he moves toward us. And so I think we need to pursue answers to the doubts that we have and we need to know that in history, in the history of the world, the people of God continue to testify to a God who moves close to them in the middle of their doubts. We are people of little faith and God knows that. See, here's here's how I want us to respond to this and I... I would love it if this happened in our midst. I pray that God would make this happen in our midst. I want this to be a community of people who can doubt together. I want this to be a community of people who can ask questions together, who together can go down the rabbit holes of our doubts and of our questions. I know that God, you may know this from the scriptures, I know that God promises that if we seek him, we will find him. I know that that's true. I don't know how to force his hand on that, though. 
He continues to show up however he wants to in whatever timing he wants to. He does promise we'll find him. He doesn't promise it'll be in three seconds. <laughs> he doesn't promise how or when exactly. He does promise that we will though. And I, and I trust that, but I can't force that. I can't wrangle that into my submission. What I can do is begin to pursue my doubts, hoping and waiting and longing for something more than what I experience right now. And I can press forward with those doubts, with those questions. What we can do is be people who come together with these questions and wrestle with God. I don't think we need to sit around and habitually doubt. Like, we don't need to sit around and sort of go, like, doubting's really fun. Let's just keep asking questions and see how many questions we can come up with and never actually get anywhere. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite writers, um, said this, and it's, it's one of my favorite quotes, probably of all time. He said, the purpose of an open mind is the same as an open mouth. It's to shut it again on something solid. That's the purpose of it. I don't just gather around and open my mind and go, let's see what kind of questions we can come up with and just confuse the crud out of everybody. That's not the hope. That's not the goal. We don't come together to just habitually, eternally doubt and doubt and doubt. It's we are people who seek resolution. We want something more. We want to be found. We want to be found out. But let's come together and see where our doubts take us. Let's see what's nagging us and what's just a passing question that we won't even care about tomorrow. Let's see what's at stake behind this question. Let's see how people have answered it before. Do you know that Jesus was asked over 150 questions in the Gospels? Do you know how many times he responded with an answer? 153 times he was asked questions. 147, he responded with a question. You know that? Think about that. 153 times people said, Jesus, what do you think about this? 147 times he responds with a question. If we are going to be people like Jesus, maybe one of the ways we can do that is by responding to each other's questions with more questions. Maybe we can be curious together. Maybe when you ask me a question, I can say, man, that's a great question. What about this? And the hope is not that you and I both get lost together. It's let's go deeper. You ask, can I trust that the Bible is a correct translation? I want to know how in the heck we trust it's the word of God. How does God work through fallible people to, to, to produce something authoritative? And what do we do if we find another gospel book? How early did these people know that it was scripture? And does it matter? Does it matter who wrote these things and who didn't write these things? Let's ask questions that we have and go after them. Y'all, I got a ton. I got a ton. And I'm always looking for people, for friends, who won't look at me and say, you're nuts. You're crazy. God, God you're, you're precluded. You're excluded from God's kingdom because these questions aren't allowed in these gates. What I find in the people of God most clearly in the whole entire book of the Psalms is the very people of God wrestling with him over everything. And the people that I have come to trust most in the kingdom of God are the people who realize that God is not afraid of any single thing that we ask, that we can stand before him and pen, and one man did, one man actually penned, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And brothers and sisters, God has never forsaken anybody but Jesus, ever. And so David wrote a psalm that was heretical. He wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And how did God redeem that? He didn't cast David out. He said, this is a man after my own heart. And he took the very words of David, which were untrue in David's mouth, and he actually made them true in Jesus' words on the cross, where Jesus actually says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And I think about, this is scripture, y'all, and I think about this sometimes. I go, if God can take heresy out of David's mouth and he can make it gospel in Jesus's, why do I think he's afraid of the questions I have? Why, why do I think he's afraid of the, the statements that I make and the places that I want to poke and prod? I want to believe, but what do I need in order to believe? And will you be with me? Will you walk with me and help me process through those things? Would you be people that do that with each other? My prayer tonight is that your doubts, this is possible for all of us, y'all. My prayer is that our doubts are, are this place of fire for our faith. I was telling our staff earlier today, Dostoevsky, this Russian writer, said once that he said, my Hosanna was born in a furnace of fire, of doubts. That his doubts actually burned away the, the mess and the junk and left him with, with a beautiful understanding of who his Savior is. It's possible that our doubts can be a refining fire for our faith, brothers and sisters. I think this is what they're supposed to be. A fire that you flame to decide how you will commit your life. Because while you sit in doubt, you resist commitment. Every single one of us does. When I don't know how to answer that question, I don't move here or there. And so I don't know which way to move with things like global warming because I haven't done enough research. I have doubts about things. But as soon as I start reading information, I'm going to find that I begin to move in one direction or the other. I encourage you to take your doubts about God, your doubts about the scriptures, your doubts about Christianity, and begin to fan those flames for a minute and pursue where those questions might lead. Pull your head out of the sand and bring your questions to bear on the pages of scripture. Come before the throne of God in prayer with all of your doubts. Don't leave them at the door. Come before him. One of the reasons that you may not trust him is because you have yet to throw your hardest stuff at him. He's not scared of you or your questions. Quite the opposite. May we be people that say, me too. And ask questions when other people ask questions. And dig to the deeper stuff together. Pursue where the rabbit hole goes in our doubts. Move through intellectual answers because quite frankly, they rarely satisfy. And maybe what we'll find if we begin to ask our, our questions together, to bring them before the throne of God, like Zach was saying earlier, to ask these questions with God, wrestle with him and fight with him, what we might find, we may get some intellectual answers. I hope we do. I think that there are some to be found. What we might find is one that we can actually trust. We might find that we can actually trust God. My experience leads me to believe that the more I ask questions, the more questions I'm going to have. <laughs> and so eventually what I need isn't just an incessant whirlpool or, or waterfall, rather, of answers. What I actually need to know is I can just trust him with everything. That's what I need to know. But I'm never going to know it. And thus I bring those things before him. And so if you've been waiting for permission to doubt, you have it. Doubt. Ask your questions. Ask him. He's not scared of you. And he wants to move close to you. And those doubts sit down in you and they keep you from trusting him if you have them. Because if he can't answer this, how can I trust him? So I must actually risk and bring it out before him and see what he does with it. But you don't have to do it alone. We can do it together. And I pray that this community, that if you're here, that this place on Tuesdays, that core groups, that if you participate in our retreats or you're hanging out in the hub and we're just talking or you meet with a member of our staff or you've got a roommate, as a follower of Jesus, would you be somebody that's safe to do these things with? 
Jesus responded to many questions with questions, so maybe you don't need to respond with trite answers. Maybe. We're about to sing a song in just a minute. It's a huge declaration of God's glory. And if you're like me, and next week we're actually gonna talk about apathy, what is it like to sit in a room when everybody else believes something I don't? <laughs> we'll talk about that some next week. But you guys are about to sing a song, and you may not believe it. That's okay. You don't have to sing it. Maybe you can pray it. Or maybe you can look at it and go, God, I don't really know what this means. And that's okay. And I would encourage you to share that with somebody sometime. See where the questions might lead you. Let me pray for you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, I thank you that you are not scared of us. I thank you for the history of people, for the brothers and sisters, the great cloud of witnesses that are with us throughout history, that are with us even today, in our friends, in our preachers, in the books that we read, in the podcasts we, some of us might listen to, um, who ask questions that we ask, who tell us that we're not crazy when we have a lack of certainty. I wonder sometimes, Father, if it is um, a stain, some kind of sick echo of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that makes us think we have to know it all to be accepted by you. I don't know. But I pray for my friends in this room tonight, God, um, that every single one of them here would risk asking you the questions that they have would bring their doubts to bear upon the pages of your scripture and would bring them to you in prayer. And I pray that we would be people who would share those together, longing, longing for something more than just doubt, of course. But we won't know what we can find until we do it together. So help us do it. As we sing these songs in just a minute, um, I thank you that they're true regardless of what we believe. <laughs> I really do. And I pray you help any of us in our unbelief. Thank you for moving toward Thomas the way you did. Would you move toward us the same, that one day we might touch you and see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.